Hi everyone, welcome to Girls. I have with me today Lily Sheng, and I'm very, very happy to have her with me today. Hi Lily, welcome to Girls. Thanks. Let's start by introducing yourself. Do you want to tell us a little bit about yourself? Congratulations <laughs> on the CVP promotion, and a little bit about your career from the beginning, maybe from college to right now. Sure, well maybe I'll start a little bit further back, just because, um, so I was born in Tokyo, and I grew up in Omaha, Nebraska. So I think I can live pretty much anywhere. And um, I don't know, somehow I think being different and, um, you know, has shaped a lot of who I am. So I studied architecture in college and I worked as an architect of buildings wow. in um, Tokyo. So <laughs> My first job was like working as an architect in Tokyo. And then I worked in LA and we did these like big high rise buildings and it was pretty cool because we got to design um, urban design systems, you know, these big buildings. And so I really wanted to live in New York and I went back to grad school. And uh, from there, I worked at Apple and their research group and then came to Microsoft. And I've been here for uh, over 20 years. Wow, that's amazing. I, I didn't know that you were a brilliant <laughs> architect. <laughs> you had two lives, or maybe more. Yeah, no, know. it's like a whole other life. And I remember once I was in a conference, and someone was saying, like, oh, Lily's an architect. And they were like, who does she think she is? You know, there are other people who are architects. And then people were saying, like, no, buildings, building architects. And they were like, oh. <laughs> that's amazing. Can you tell us a little bit about your career at Microsoft? So 20 years at Microsoft. Yeah. Uh, well, what did you, like, start your role as, and how did grow up in your career and what yeah. you are doing right now. So one of the things that I think is kind of interesting is the things that leaving architecture was such a big decision for me and I think that sometimes the things that you, it's interesting to see how your career, um, things that you leave fold back into your life and become kind of what you do going forward. So my story at Microsoft is a lot like this. I started in 1995 um, when Windows 95 came out and I had just come from Apple and um, the first thing that I worked on were chatbots, which of course I'm working on again, <laughs> and um, these virtual reality systems. So it's kind of funny. Um, we thought, we imagined back then that, you know, the way people interact online was really gonna, you know, be very social and change and that'd be very rich. And what's kind of interesting, I think, um, so I started in Microsoft Research in a group called the Virtual Worlds Group. And after that, I, um, we shifted it a little bit to focus on social computing. So I ran a group called the Social Computing Group. Um, and I worked for Rick Rashid, who started research. That was just amazing. And um, we did some projects around, which had really not that much to do with social, but around rethinking the desktop experience and the operating system. And Rick thought that that was really cool because he had designed Mac OS, which was the, became the kernel of, um, you know, Apple's operating system. And so he was super into that and he showed Bill Gates and then somehow I ended up in Windows um, working on Windows for a couple years. And then after that I came back to research and worked for Rick again and then Ryazi was here and, and we started Fuse Labs, which was all about uh, future social experiences and did some really cool projects. Um, the beginning of Azure, we were the first group ever to use Azure. Um, and so, you know, did that for a while and then when Ray left the company, went back to research, and um, it's just been really fun to see how much things have changed and yet how much things are the same. The same ideas that people hope that the computing experience can be um, more personal, 
richer, more human-like, more about the way we think and feel was some of the ideas that we were interested in, in the very beginning of my time at Microsoft. And it, they're all back. And maybe they've never gone. But I think we have this quest to make the systems that we live in all day long. Um, and maybe that's something that's really different because people really didn't live in their laptops back then. Now right. you have your phone and your computer with you all the time, it seems like. Um, how to make those systems better model and, and adapt to the way people think. It's, it's, a, it's fascinating that, like, I mean, 20 years back, the ideas are there, but we can't do, we can't do anything with them because <laughs> it's, they are not ready. But th now they are ready, so let's give them back, like virtual reality, yeah. augmented reality, and chatbots and stuff. So what's, what's really different from a technical perspective? What, what's the difference between like a 95, 1995 chatbot and 2017 yeah. chatbot? Well, a couple things. One thing is I think the internet happened. And so when you think like, why was the internet interesting? I think the internet was really about connecting people as much as information. And so it's hard to imagine today a device or a PC that isn't connected. You know, back then people kind of did email and that was like your big connection and maybe, you know, AOL or MSN existed, but it was all, you know, you spent more time looking at your own stuff than stuff created by other people. And so I think that we never could have dreamed how much having the internet shifted the computing experience to be about a shared experience more than um, a personal solo experience. And maybe the phone also, how much you would take it with you everywhere you go. And so I think people are different more than technology is different. I mean, technology, of course, is unbelievable, like all the advances in technology. But you know, people with their shared data, um, people are ready. And I think back then, you know, people thought you were weird. I remember when social networks first came out, people mm. would be like, what are those? Aren't those for like really annoying people and teenagers who like to overshare? And you know, today, like everybody's online. Yeah. It's not, I mean, it's almost like an anomaly if you're not online, like you've yeah, chosen you? <laughs> to like really separate yourself, right? And so I think that um, people have really changed and how much Technology has become a part of just how you function every day, at least for people in, you know, cities and you know countries with, you know, where they can afford it, live, and so um, it's it's really cool to be a part of that, you know. Yeah, it is amazing. I think one thing I um, I didn't say when I introduced you that you are a CVP right now, uh, which is corporate vice president at Microsoft, and you are a distinguished engineer. So can you tell us about the, the team that you are in and what's, what are the areas that you own at Microsoft? Yeah, sure. So I just got promoted last week, so it's, it's all new. <laughs> <laughs> um, so I um, have for a while run teams that are a little atypical. And um, actually, I've run a variety of different types of teams. But the team that I ran when I was a distinguished engineer um, really is like a it's really awesome. So I think at Microsoft, some people have really big careers because they aim to really manage a huge team. I want to run a huge team, and I want to be in the middle of one of those really big products. Mm -hmm. And so I kind of did that when I was in Windows. I ran like a big team in Windows. And for a lot of people, that's great. You know, it's like, but that was never my Microsoft career. I was always in like, aside from the time I was in Windows, a smaller team, maybe that was trying to do something more experimental. Um, you know, we tended to take more risk. Sometimes those worked out, sometimes they didn't. And I think we were a lot about just maybe a different kind of culture. 
right? So, um, and we really lived a lot of our time outside of the company. So when we were doing social software, like all the people who started social software, I mean, at that time they were all like, I mean, everybody in industry thought they were all kind of silly, you know? And who would have dreamed that social computing would be so, um, which changed so much the way people communicate and represent themselves, right? So, um, so yeah, I don't know. I think, I think, um, I forgot your question. Yeah, the team that you own right now. So, so you the said team, this is a small team. When you so it was a small team and it's just grown. So a lot of the AI tools, you know, people don't know this, they were really started, there's this amazing guy, his name is Yuting Kuo, and he had this idea with Harry that, hey, we have all, we have so many riches in Microsoft research, vision researchers, speech, everything you could imagine, and mm -hmm. people really wanted to think about how they could take some of Microsoft research and the knowledge and the tooling that we had and let other people create things. And so Yuting really started from his core, which is vision, we added speech, language understanding, and he created this suite of components that you could use, anybody could use to create an app. Or so is this the cognitive services? Yeah, so this is the cognitive services. And so, um, you know, and what, what I loved about it was one of the things that kind of took off and became viral was this, how old are you, yeah. you know, <laughs> application of, you know, you take a picture, if you stand a certain way, it becomes popular. So cognitive services is one of the things that I run. And the other thing that we started was the bot framework. So Chi Lu, who was at the company at the time, had this idea that, um, people spend so much time in conversation. How do we better understand language that you're saying and do more with the language that you input, as well as how do we really embed the experience wherever it is that you interact, be it in an app, like a chat app, or on the web, or in your app. And so we really thought, okay, how could we build developer tools for people to create um, these experiences? So doing bot framework and working with cognitive services, um, you know, we were, we were early. I think at the time people thought, well, that's kind of like interesting. And I think in the last two years, like this has just really, um, every big company today have, you know, intelligent tools. Um, people are all looking at bots or conversational AI and how to um, better understand language and authors for that. And so I think um, we had a hunch and we took a bet that this would be something that would really um, impact the world, and we really had this great feedback from, you know, all of our partners out there. It was kind of fun when we first started the bot framework. The day we launched at Build, I was like looking at blogs and things like that, mm -hmm. and I noticed that some friends of mine who were like um, startup types were all like, you know, what's Microsoft doing, you know? <laughs> and I was like, hey, you know, that's me. And it was really interesting because it was the same crowd of people that started social software. So it was Stuart Butterfield from Slack and Chris Messina and Tim O'Reilly and just a bunch of people that we knew. So we all got together and we said, okay, like um, with social software, we had this dream that the systems would be really open and interoperable. And um, is there a way for us to try again to make sure that as we develop conversational apps and these intelligent tools that we really can do better and try to keep them open and interoperable and I think just also seeing the external response to the work that we were doing from this set of people, I mean, we were all sort of like, this is another thing. Like we've been here before and a lot of us have been here before together. And um, so that was really exciting, not just the internal reaction and the reaction from the developers external, yeah. that already use our stuff, but just this whole sort of 
um, reaction from the outside world and just normal people, you know. Right, right. So they are all enjoying the services that you. Yeah, and just amazing. interested, like, okay, hurry up, like, make this, like, you know, <laughs> Ready, fulfill well, our <laughs> dream. <laughs> <laughs> That's amazing. And now, I think, uh, well, I mean, from the new org, your whole team moved into cloud AI, which is a new thing. Yeah, so we've always kind of viewed ourselves, um, we have, you know, the AI tooling for in um, that combined with Microsoft Research, and um, there are always parts of it that are, like, create our own products. So Cortana, Bing, mm -hmm. and these things. And then there's a part of it which is really infusing AI to you know, all of our office users, and part of it that's like infusing AI to all of our cloud offerings and our developers. And because of where we had started with the developer tools, um, with Bot Framework and Cognitive Services, we were definitely on this side. And so it's, it's just awesome because we've been working so much already with you know, the Azure team and all of our cloud tooling. Um, Ray, who I had worked for, you know, really started Azure and Scott and everybody. They've been so helpful, and Satya, you know, who who ran that division in um, helping, you know, bring Joseph, mm -hmm. who runs Azure ML, to like bring all that knowledge of you know big product over to combine it with this and really, um, you know, pull all of these tools sense. together. Yeah, it makes sense that they are all together right now. Yeah, and it's great because we've all been working together for the last year anyway. But this just. Um, <laughs> It just makes it more fun. Okay, that's amazing. Okay, I'm going to ask maybe a little personal question. Um, can you tell us a story like about a mentor that helped you through your career and how did that affect your uh, your career maybe? So I have always had, I have been so lucky because I have always had the most amazing managers and mentors. But probably my best mentor was this woman. She never uh, told us her age, but she was like 90, you know, I'm pretty <laughs> sure. Very, Maybe. very, and she was my call, she ran the program that I went to at NYU, and she was just such a strong, amazing woman. Um, I remember one time I was having some trouble at work, and I would call her, so, not very often, but occasionally I would call her, and I was really frustrated, and I was like, you know, her name was Red Burns, she's sort of a New York City icon. I said, you know, Red, like, you know, such and such is happening, and I'm really stressed out. And she's like, okay, well, did you tell the person? And I was like, no. She's like, you need to you need to get to New York, and we need to have a talk. And I was like, no, 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 no. <laughs> I will talk. I'll talk to this person. Like, I'll sort it out. She's like, okay, well, you better, because if you don't, like, basically, like, what's wrong with you? Like, you've become all soft, like, out there in, you know, Washington State. But I was like, I just thought she was always, like, um, like, I'm a very direct person, and so I think it's like, say what's on your mind, be honest and true, have good intentions, um, make it happen, you know, have fun. She was, she's an amazing woman. She died a couple, you know, like five oh. years ago. But yeah, she was, and you know, she's like one of these faculty, you know, icons that sort of touched so many people that, um, She's, her, her network like lives on. It's just really cool. It's amazing. Okay, can you tell us, uh, like, uh, I, I know you worked on, I was reading like your bio. <laughs> you worked <laughs> on so many great things. What, what's your favorite? What's your favorite project that you worked on? Oh, let's see. So um, like you even worked on Office 365. Yeah, we worked on all kinds of crazy so stuff. Many, yeah, crazy stuff. <laughs> My favorite project that we worked on was a project called Twig. I don't, so, <laughs> I don't know what it is. So um, there's a guy in my group, his name is Steve Eichmann, and he had been working, he, he probably doesn't even know this story, but now he will if he watches this. Okay, so he was working on this project, and everyone was saying, like, Steve's been working on that project for a while. Like, 
maybe he should work, is he gonna work on that forever? And so I was like, I don't know. But then out of the blue came this project to look at, um, a Twitter had just made their data public. Mm. And so I was like, huh. So Steve started looking at this project and he was like, you know, we could do this project to build Dig. Dig was a news sharing website. A Dig-like site, just mining everything that's shared on Twitter. So I was like, that's awesome, you should work on that, okay. So he starts working on this, just one guy. And then um, I think he was like, you know, like we really need to try this new Azure thing. Like we haven't heard, so I was like, okay, like I know Ray a little bit, and so I'll just ask this other guy that I know if there any way that we can get an Azure account. So this guy gave us an Azure account. I found out later that we were like the only the second group in the entire company ever to have used Azure. Um, the other group was Ray's brother, Jack. Okay, so they gave us an account. And we basically started ingesting all the Twitter data. And then um, Harry, who I had known forever, had just moved to Bing. So he was like, oh, you should meet this other guy. So it turned out that they ended up giving us the whole Twitter firehose of data. And Steve basically ingested all of this data in real time on Azure, because Azure, because of Azure, we could ingest it faster and it could be more real time. And we ended up shipping this on Bing in like two months. It was wow. this amazing story with like, a guy, and I, I just think that this story is really cool because I think it's, it's important to remember that amazing things happen because a single person had an idea and had an idea, it. and someone really supported them, or just many people supported him. But it was just that we made it happen, and then and we added another guy named Tom, and uh, then we got all the Facebook data. So we they still use this system in production today to. Um, to kind of look at all the social media data that comes in in real time. And it really made us think for search, like, well, how do the systems need to be different? Because if you're building a system for a synchronous system or a semi-synchronous system, kind of everything changes, like the way you do intelligence, the way you monitor things. Um, so we just had a lot of fun with that. And I just, um, I think it's my favorite story because so many people took a bet on something that seemed kind of nascent and were so happy that it um, that it worked and it still exists today. So yeah, that's, that's, that's cool. amazing. That's amazing. One guy, two months. Yeah, it was <laughs> so kind of like the Azure story, right? <laughs> hey, these two guys, and they're amazing, could kind of make this, could ingest all of the data from these two systems. And it was really impactful for Azure. You know, it was the first time um, a product team took a bet on them. It was the first, you know, people were using this. It was just really exciting. That's amazing. Um, okay, I ask this question to everyone who comes to the show. It's gals, so it's women for for tech. Um, so you you work as an architect, and then you went to school in New York for computer, I guess, and then you worked in the software as an engineer and everything. So I guess uh, how many women were in your class and how many <laughs> you worked with? Did you had any challenges as being a woman or different um, through your career? So I guess it started being different when I, um, you know, even in undergrad, architectures, more women than men, but it, um, it's a very, like all my friends were guys, you know? I mean, I had women friends too, but I just, I think I've worked so much with men and then working as an architect in Tokyo was actually the worst because it was like, <laughs> I, I mean, there were no women really. And, you know, it was in the 80s, so being a woman in Tokyo, not speaking Japanese, and this engineering company 
was pretty intense. So I think everything is easier after like working in Tokyo at an <laughs> engineering <laughs> company. Um, you know that. What, what did you learn? What what like helped you? What helped you through like through that area since it was a, like a, maybe a difficult experience? Did that help you? And what helped you after in the, your software experience or engineering experience? Um, so like I told you in the beginning that I was Asian in Nebraska, yeah. and so yeah. I think. Part of my identity is just that I'm different. From the beginning, so from like you faced the time that I was, it was it was way harder to be Asian in eighth grade in Nebraska, honestly, at that time, than it was. I mean, nobody like here being like a woman at Microsoft. Nobody makes fun of me or shouts like Asian things, you know, Japanese or Chinese words at me or makes faces at me. I mean, that was just like that was just part of growing up for me. And I don't think people even knew that they were prejudiced. Mm. They just that's just the way it was, and it's very different today. I mean, things have gotten better. But um, I think the, the interesting thing was I didn't really realize why growing up because oh. I always just thought I was like everybody else. So maybe I um, benefit from being a little bit oblivious. <laughs> and only when I lived in Tokyo, I was like, wow, like no one ever looks at me. And then I had this epiphany like, oh my gosh, my whole life people have just been looking at me because, because I look different. Like, it wasn't because I'm awesome. So it's just like hilarious. I had this like small like, wow, I've been so wrong about like life. And I don't think that I thought people were awesome. I just thought that I was special. I guess I was special, but course, not special. special in the way that I thought. So it's really interesting. So when I ran this team in Windows, I actually had kind of the inverse problem because I ran a big team and I had never been in like a really big team like Windows and I had never run a big team. And so I hadn't been part of a big team and I hadn't really run a big team. And I was still sort of running it as if I was on the side mm. versus I was like, it, when you're the in center. Windows, you're running like the, a big product for the company from the center, especially in like, you know, 2000. And I think people were like, you know, you act like you don't run the team. You act like you're not. And I was like, oh, you're right. Like I, I it, it made me realize how much, so much of my identity had been sort of around you know, um, reacting to the center. And so I thought that was just interesting. I mean, may, so maybe in that sense, it's been a little bit easier because I don't think I notice it as much as other people, but I do notice it more as you become more senior. Um, I think you see that your role is, you know, it just, it becomes obvious that it is harder, you know, and so I'm not as oblivious, but, um, and I think, you know, so many women helped me and, you know, I remember when I first got promoted, oh, I first ran my research group, the social computing group, and I was saying to Rad, my mentor, like, I think, I think maybe they weren't thinking of me because I'm a woman, you know, in the beginning, mm -hmm. right? I kind of had to fight for it. And she was like, duh, <laughs> like, you finally figured that out. And I was like, oh. So I think there is a thing where as a woman, maybe when you're more junior and there are more women, you don't notice it as much and you're progressing in your career, and it really is, it's only maybe as you get a little bit more senior do you realize like your role and responsibility, just like other people who helped you, to kind of look out for people, and it's not just women, I mean there's all kinds of diversity, I mean I was a design manager here, I mean sometimes certain disciplines don't get as much attention as they want, or mm. doing innovation, sometimes people don't understand mm. um, how hard it can be to start something from scratch, um, there's a lots of kinds of diversity, and so I think it's just it's just the more we are inclusive, you know, kind of the more fun it is. 
I mean, I think it would be a really sad day if I'm the most diverse person around, right? I'm always looking for like, who's out there <laughs> mm -hmm. to like really push the boundaries and people push the boundaries in lots of ways. And I think it just, it just broadens our scope of what's possible. Yeah, that, that's amazing. I, I love this answer, that's amazing. Okay, on a more on a personal note, um, I mean, it looks like you have a very busy schedule. So how do you plan your time and, and do you find time to do side projects or not projects, but side things that you care about? Um, yeah, I don't know. I mean, I think that I, have, so I have three kids. Um, they're older now, so mostly they don't, you know, I mean, it, it's they not as anyone. much work they, <laughs> as they, you know, now when they want to hang out with me, then I'm always available. But um, I guess I used to say that I had work-life balance, but it was like extreme work-life balance. <laughs> so I'm like a lot of home, a lot of work. Oh. So it was balanced, but just a lot of both. And I always had this philosophy that as long as I can balance it all, I'm going to do it because why not? I have choice. It's a privilege, you know, and if it gets to be too much, then I'll figure it out. And so I did make choices in jobs, I think, at times to, um, I don't know that I, if I was that intentional about it, but I never, I always felt like um, I knew what I was getting out of my job and I knew what the company was, how the company was benefiting and I knew what I wanted to balance and what was important to me, you know. So maybe um, he, that balance was more important to me than getting something really fast or doing this kind of job or doing that kind of job. Like it always had to have purpose for me because I thought, you know, I can stay home with my kids and that is going to have a lot of purpose in life for their three lives. And so what I do at work has to be more meaningful for me, for my time than that. And that's a high bar. I mean, yeah. it really is. And I think that, um, you know, I've just been super lucky, you know, <laughs> that I've always had so much fun at work, you know. And so, so the choice has never, I've never really had to make a hard choice, I think, of balance. But people do all the time. And I would just say, like, life is long. And so, you know, you're in it for the long haul. And I don't know that if I would have been here for 23 years, if I would have said, okay, you know, I need this at this time on this schedule and, you know, I have to make these sacrifices. Because I think it's just, you know, I don't know, everybody has their own rhythm mm -hmm. that they go through. Yeah. So. No, that's amazing. Okay, let's go to our lighting round. <laughs> Coffee or tea? I don't know. I think I'm going to say I don't know all the time. Um, coffee. Okay, good. What do you do first thing when you wake up in the morning? Uh, well, recently I've been going on a walk, but that's, that's good. Yeah, that's amazing. Do you wake up like really early or? I guess it's so light out. I wake <laughs> up and I have like these woods and I just go oh. and go for a walk. Yeah, beautiful Washington. So. Yeah, it is. In the winter, I will probably just like pull the covers <laughs> over my head and go back to sleep. <laughs> awesome. <laughs> Is there any uh, useless gadget that you bought and never used? Many. I'm a kitchen gadget, you know, kitchen gadget person. So I have all kinds of kitchen gadgets that I think it's like when you give people that have everything. So I attract kitchen gadgets and I have lots of them. I think there was this one thing you're supposed to like, it's like a piece of metal and you use it like soap, and it's supposed to like make some smell go away, but I've never used it. It's just useless. I don't even know where it is, but <laughs> it looks cool. Design object. So I get design object kitchen gadgets that then, I, I don't know, they disappear. My husband probably gives them away or something. I don't know what happens to them. That's a good husband. <laughs> <laughs> okay, um, do you still code? What's your favorite language? 
I don't really code anymore. Um, so I don't know. I you think have a favorite language from my last favorite. <laughs> I don't know. Uh, I would well, Kodu. Have you seen Kodu? Kodu is a is a the, game the one for kids that we make in our team to teach kids coding. So it's my favorite just because it's for anybody, and so I think that it's important for us to make our tools like simpler, easier, That's more amazing. fun. I can't wait to make our my kids start learning it. That's cool. Um, next question would be, we always ask Star Wars or Star Trek. I don't know. If you're not a geek, that's okay. Um, so I, I think I have to say Star Trek, okay. although I, I'm really not, I, I don't know. Okay. Yeah, I'm, I'm not, uh, I get in trouble typically in Microsoft Research because I, I don't know enough about Star Trek, but I have to say Star Trek. Yeah. Okay, just because of Because. <laughs> to support them. <laughs> okay. <laughs> okay, fair enough. Um, okay, why do we need, I think you already answered this question. The question was why do we need more women, but I think you already answered the question by saying we need more, like we need to be inclusive anyway. So I think that's okay. Um, okay, let's see, final question. If you have any advice to anyone who is thinking about his career, but feels different, or a woman who's feeling stressed about her work or environment or something, what would be your advice for them? Um, so I just gave this talk at WeCode, Women Who Code. I don't know if you know that organization. Yeah, it's I awesome. know. Uh, if, you, if we have a link, I'll put it in the description of this video, a link to it. Yeah, so I gave a talk at WeCode, and it was like a bunch of you know women who, it was at Harvard, I think it was at Harvard or MIT, one of the other. And someone came up to me, and they were like, oh my gosh, because I gave a talk on all of our AI still. They were like, I totally screwed up. It was a woman, she was like 22, you know, at Harvard, okay. She said, you know, I did the wrong thing. I did not study AI, and like, basically, I'm. But she's twenty-two. Okay, and I was thinking, you're probably right because you probably just you're a senior or something like that in college, and you think, ah, oh, I should have like studied that, and I'm finishing up, and college was so expensive. But I was like, you know what? Like, you're like twenty-two. <laughs> you can just study it now. Like that's what everybody else is doing. Like it didn't exist when I was there. So, yep. so like, just try. So I think that there is always this feeling when you see things that like, oh, I shoulda, coulda, woulda, I shoulda done that if I could redo. But it's like, well, you're here now. So I would say, you know, go forward from, from now because you can learn anything. You can really do anything. It's all ahead of you. And I, um, I think it just, you know, I, I think it's good to recognize that everybody has those feelings, but that, um, you know, what a great time to be doing what we're doing. Yeah. And so it's super fun. No, it's amazing. Thank you, Lily, for being oh, on Gaza. That was you. an amazing conversation. That thank was you great. very much. Bye.